Chapter Twenty Two of Flower of the North. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. Flower of the North by James Oliver Curwood. Chapter Twenty Two. News of the double tragedy had swept through the camp, and there was a crowd in front of the supply house. Philip passed close to Thorpe's house to avoid discovery ran a hundred yards up the trail over which Jeanne had fled a short time before, and then cut straight across through the thin timber for the head of the lake. He felt no effort in his running. Low bush whipped him in the face and left no sting. He was not conscious that he was panting for breath when he came out in the black shadow of the mountain. This night in itself had been a creation for him, for out of grief and pain it had lifted him into a new life and into a happiness that seemed to fill him with the strength and the endurance of five men. Jeanne loved him. The wonderful truth cried itself out in his soul at every step he took, and he murmured it aloud to himself over and over again as he ran. The glow of the signal fire lighted up the sky above him, and he climbed up higher and higher, scrambling swiftly from rock to rock, until he saw the tips of the flames licking up into the sky. He had come up the steepest and shortest side of the ridge, and when he reached the top he lay upon his face for a moment, his breath almost gone. The fire was built against a huge dead pine, and the pine was blazing a hundred feet in the air. He could feel its heat. The monster torch illumined the barren cap of the rock from edge to edge, and he looked about him for Jeanne. For a moment he did not see her, and her name rose to his lips, to be stilled in the same breath by what he saw beyond the burning pine. Through the blaze of the heat and fire he beheld Jeanne, standing close to the edge of the mountain, gazing into the south and west. He called her name. Jeanne turned toward him with a startled cry, and Philip was at her side. The girl's face was white and strained. Her lips were twisted in pain at sight of him. She spoke no word, but a strange sound rose in her throat, a welling up of the sudden despair which the firelight revealed in her eyes. For one moment they stood apart, and Philip tried to speak. And then, suddenly, he reached out and drew her quickly into his arms, so quickly that there was no time for her to escape so closely that her sweet face lay imprisoned upon his breast as he had held it once before under the picture at Fort God. He felt her straining to free herself. He saw the fear in her eyes, and he tried to speak calmly, while his heart throbbed with the passion of love which he wished to pour into her ears. "'Listen, Jeanne,' he said. "'Pierre has sent me to you. He has told me everything.' everything, my sweetheart. There is nothing to keep from me now. I know. I understand. And I love you, love you, love you, my own sweet Jeanne. She trembled at his words. He felt her shuddering in his arms, and her eyes gazed at him wonderingly, filled with a strange and incredulous look, while her lips quivered and remained speechless. He drew her nearer until his face was against her own, and the warmth of her lips, her eyes, 
and her hair entered into him, and near stifled his heart with joy. "'He has told me everything, my little Jeanne,' he said again, in a whisper that rose just above the crackling of the pine. "'Everything. He told me because he knew that I loved you, and because—' The words choked in his throat. At this hesitation, Jeanne drew her head back, and with her hands pressing against his breast, looked into his face. There were in her eyes the same struggling emotions, but with them now there came also a sweet faltering, a piteous appeal to him, a faith that rose above her terrors, and the tremble of her lips was like that of a crying child. He drew her face back and kissed the quivering lips, and suddenly he felt the strain against him give way, and Jeanne's head sobbed upon his breast. In that moment, looking where the roaring pine sent its pinnacles of flames leaping up into the night, a word of thanks, of prayer, rose mutely to his lips, and he held Jeanne more closely, and whispered over and over again in his happiness, "'Jeanne, Jeanne, my sweetheart, Jeanne!' Jeanne's sobs grew less and less, and Philip strengthened himself to tell her the terrible news of Pierre. He knew that in the selfishness of his own joy he had already wasted precious minutes, and very gently he took Jeanne's wet face between his two hands and turned it a little toward his own. "'Pierre has told me everything, Jeanne,' he repeated. "'Everything, from the day he found you many years ago to the day your father returned to torture you. He spoke calmly, even as he felt her shiver in pain against him. "'Tonight there was a little trouble down in the camp, dear. Pierre is wounded and wants you to come to him. Thorpe is dead.' For an instant Philip was frightened at what happened. Jeanne's breath ceased. There seemed to be not a quiver of life in her body, and she lay in his arms as if dead. And then, suddenly, there came from her a terrible cry, and she wrenched herself free and stood a step from him, her face as white as death. "'He is dead?' "'Yes, he is dead.' "'And Pierre? Pierre killed him?' Philip held out his arms, but Jeanne did not seem to see them. She saw the answer in his face. "'And Pierre is hurt?' she went on, never taking her wide, luminous eyes from his face. Before he answered, Philip took her trembling hands in his own, as though he would lighten the blow by the warmth and touch of his great love. "'Yes, he is hurt, Jean,' he said. "'We must hurry, for I am afraid there is no time to lose.' He is dying? I fear so, Jeanne. He turned before the look that came into her face and led her about the circle of fire to the side of the mountain that sloped down into the plain. Suddenly Jeanne stopped for an instant. Her fingers tightened about his. Her face was turned back into the endless desolation of night and forest that lay to the south and west. Far out, a mile, two miles, an answering fire was breaking the black curtain that hid all things beyond them. 
Jeanne lifted her face to him. Grief and love, pain and joy, shone in her eyes. "'They are there,' she said chokingly. "'It is Sashigo, and they are coming, coming, coming!' Once again before they began the descent of the mountain, Philip drew her close in his arms and kissed her. And this time there was the sweet surrender to him of all things in the tenderness of Jeanne's lips. Silent in their grief, and yet communing in sympathy and love in the firm clasp of their hands, they came down the mountain, through the thin spruce forest, and to the lighted cabin where Pierre lay dying. MacDougall was in the room when they entered, and rose softly, tiptoeing into the little office. Philip led Jeanne to Pierre's side, and as he bent over him and spoke softly, the half-breed opened his eyes. He saw Jeanne. Into his fading eyes there came a wonderful light. His lips moved, and his hands strove to lift themselves above the crumpled blanket. Jeanne dropped upon her knees beside him, and as she clasped his chilled hands to her breast, a glorious understanding lighted up her face, and then she took Pierre's face between her hands and bowed her own close down to it, so that the two were hidden under the beauteous halo of her hair. Philip gripped at his throat to hold back a sob. A terrible stillness came into the room, and he dared not move. It seemed a long time before Jeanne lifted her head, slowly, tenderly, as if fearing to awaken a sleeping child. She turned to him, and he read the truth in her face before she had spoken. Her voice was low and calm, filled with the sweetness and tenderness and strength that come only to a woman in the final moment of a great sorrow. "'Leave us, Philip,' she said. "'Pierre is dead.' End of chapter 22 Recording by Roger Moline